St. John's is one of the legendary names in all of college basketball. Has it fallen on tough times? Yes, it has. But now we're ready to, to fall on great times. We're ready to raise it up, raise this roof up, because St. John's is going to be back, I guarantee it. Everybody is off the floor, but had no time left. One free throw will win it, and stunned it. The senior wins it. You are now listening to the Eye of the Storm Podcast. What's going on, Johnny Nation? Welcome to episode 77 of the Eye of the Storm Podcast. My name is David Barrow, and St. John's has dropped their third game of the non-conference portion of the schedule, falling to Boston College 86-80. to Why? It's as simple as St. John's did not play good enough defense. He had a 10-point lead in the second half, and if you played any semblance of defense and did so without fouling in the second half, you would have won. Plain and simple. After a back-and-forth first 20 minutes, St. John's woke up three minutes into the second half, and they ripped off a 14-0 run inside the Barclays Center that had St. John's fans who traveled through the rain making a whole lot of noise, myself included. Joel Soriano is screaming to the heavens after a thunderous dunk caused Boston College's head coach Earl Grant to call a timeout, and you thought this was the turning point in the game after it was punch-counterpunch in the first half, and the expected outcome of a win was merely 13 minutes away, except the Red Storm defense never got that message. Less than three minutes after St. John's had all the momentum in the world, Boston College regained the lead, and eventually with some timely threes and getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line, they came away with the win. As you can imagine, the train ride home from Brooklyn was not a fun one. St. John's fans have been pretty down in the dumps since the game ended on the weekend, and you can imagine that there's a lot of disappointment right now. There's some crazy hot takes going on, but the main takeaway right now is concern. You are concerned that this team can't play good enough defense. And when you are nine games into the season, the fact that you are questioning your defense, you know, it's one thing for the head coach to have some coach speak and motivate the team by saying they can't play defense or he expects better. But right now, I think what you're seeing is a team that is a little bit too slow and a team that is often out of position, and that is incredibly concerning given that you are nine games into the season, Big East play is around the corner, and you've already dropped three games in your non-conference schedule. So yes, the theme is concern. So we have to ask the question, why and how did this happen? Where were the issues on defense? Because St. John's defense lost them the game. It wasn't the offense. When you score 80 points in a college basketball game, more often than not, you're going to win. So what did St. John's do to play such bad defense against Boston College? I think when you think about what constitutes bad defense, you think about leaving guys wide open, not defending your man, not getting back on defense or not hustling. That's not the issue here. This isn't a lack of effort or guys being lazy. From what I saw, this is our guards being a step or two slow from staying in front of their men on the perimeter. This was an issue against Michigan when Doug McDaniel was killing St. John's. And the second part of this issue 
is Joel Soriano is being dragged out to the three-point line because their big man, Quinton Post, would set screens and force switches. Once that simple action took place, especially in the second half, the guards would go downhill and get into the paint. Danis Jenkins, Jordan Dingle couldn't get the right angles when fighting through the screens and play good enough defense, and since Soriano was already drawn out of the paint, he was unable to be that last line of defense at the rim. After the game, Rick Pitino was not happy, as you could imagine, and had some choice words about his defense. Take a listen. Very disappointed. With a 10-point lead, you've got to play great defense, and we didn't. So uh, we paid for it. We paid for it. We're still not playing. We're pressing like I want most of the time. But the half-court defense is abominable, just abominable, just so, such a disappointment. Another major issue I noticed was Boston College was beating the full-court press, which is a staple of a Rick Pitino defense, with baseline passes over the top. Now, there were multiple times in the second half where – Say Johns tried to get into their press and Boston College would simply outrun the St. John's defender and there would be an odd man rush to use a hockey term going down the court full speed to easily get to the rim. Patino was asked about if he had the athletes to play the defense that he requires and that he wants to. And, you know, the Hall of Fame coach, as he has been all offseason since the day that he got here, was honest as usual. You got a good enough athlete, but defense is a matter of will. You got to want to play defense. So if you make a change and tell the guy to blitz and he stays behind him, you know, it's frustrating, but that's what the first year is, is, is all frustrations, and that's what you get. But, you know, it's not young players not being committed to defense. It's the entire team. So yeah, the blame goes to everybody. It's not just one or two guys. It's not just the guards. And you could hear that, you know, Patino was disappointed. After the Dayton loss, Rick Patino was upset because the team wasn't absorbing the scouting reports on how to beat their opponent. You heard me talk about that with Bob Walsh. Well, Patino mentioned again after this Boston College loss. We just continually gave up the three, where the first half, I think they only were one for six on the three-point line. But they were told that every time out they do this, they come out, they're down eight against Richmond, and they come back and they, and they win by eight or nine. And, and they were told and, and just kept backing up and giving up threes. Rick Patino said after the game that this is as disappointing a loss as I've had, not because of the score, not because of losing. It's the way we are losing. And for having such a veteran team, I'm sure that is really bothering him. And I think that's what's bothering a lot of the St. John's fans is this type of of losing and this type of lack of defense for a Rick Pitino team is really uncharacteristic. You know, besides Iona's first year squad, this is arguably the worst defense based on the numbers that Rick Pitino's team have played so far. Now, listen, it's only been nine games. There's a lot of time to correct things. But the question really is, can this defense be corrected? Can you teach defense in the season? When you think about making such a massive wholesale change to the style of basketball that you're playing, specifically on one end of the court, which is defense, the biggest thing you really need is time. And well, you've only got a few days until Madison Square Garden and you got to play Fordham. So the main talking point is the poor defense, but there's more. And there's a lot of disappointment in the air right now. No one thought St. John's would lose this game besides Boston College. 
Now you have three losses in your non-conference schedule, which wasn't quote-unquote planned, and it forces you to really get things together come Big East play. But this could also end up being quote-unquote just a quad two loss. You heard us talk about metrics on the last episode and how games are tiered into quads. As long as you're in that quad one or quad two side of things, it's not backbreaking. But that'll depend a lot on how Boston College does the rest of the year and if St. John's can figure this out. That being said, this loss is disappointing, but it's concerning because of how they lost. That's what Rick Pitino said after the game, and that's what the fan base is worried about. That's what the fan base is questioning. This team wasn't supposed to lose like this. You weren't supposed to get blown out by Michigan. That was a bad matchup, sure, but Michigan hasn't even looked that good the rest of the year. They got a good win the other day, but man, St. John's in their losses haven't looked particularly good, and that's concerning. One of the other glaring issues is the bench production. St. John's got outscored by Boston College 32-13 to from the bench. Not having R.J. Luis can't be the reason St. John's doesn't get any production from their bench. Naheem Aline gave you nine points off the bench, and Zuby Ejiofor gave you four, two of them at the free throw line. That's it. It's not good enough, and it's incredibly difficult to win like that. Danis Jenkins is being relied on heavily. This isn't a surprise. He's the first guy that came over with Rick Pitino to St. John's. He knows his offense. The issue is when he's off the floor. Even for a few minutes to get a breather or if he's in foul trouble like he was against Boston College, St. John's has struggled tremendously. It's like a ship without a captain when he goes out of the game. And that's a problem because he, he plays defense, he plays offense. Now, he should have distributed the ball better tonight. On certain plays going to the basket, but he didn't. But he, he gives he gives 100% effort on defense. And so you can hear the concern from Rick Pitino. I'm surprised that Jordan Dingle hasn't looked more comfortable on the ball as the main guard when Jenkins is on the bench. He was on the ball a lot at Penn last year and throughout his career, but he hasn't been somebody that St. John's can really rely on to orchestrate the offense when Jenkins isn't there. Now, not having Cruz Davis has hurt this aspect as well as he re-injured his left wrist and has been out the last two games. Simeon Wilcher is still trying to get his legs under him. We've talked about him trying to get comfortable, but in a higher pressure atmosphere and situation like Boston College and Barclays Center, as opposed to the, against Sacred Heart in the friendly confines of Carneseca Arena, Wilcher didn't look that comfortable, albeit he only played six minutes. And I've mentioned before that there's a tough balance of wanting your freshman to play and learn and needing those real game reps, but also having them be effective when they're in the game. And that's a really delicate balance to try and figure out which mistakes you can let them get away with, what you can stomach, where it won't cost you in the game. That's tough. And I mean, that's what the coaching staff has to deal with. And, you know, Brady Dunlap was a catalyst to that as well. Patino called him off the bench in the second half for the first time, and he misses an open corner three, then shortly after throws a pass to Boston College that led to a fast break dunk the other way, and it really zapped momentum. And, you know, it's easy to point your fingers at a freshman when he makes a mistake like that and say, man, they shouldn't be on the court. But it's a really tough balance because you need these guys to learn. So your lack of bench production on offense is really compounded 
by two freshmen who are trying to figure it out. Zuby Ejiofor not being all that proficient yet on offense. Drisa Traore is not somebody that you could rely on for too many buckets. So after Naheem Aline and when Luis comes back, what do you really have? Who can you look at? Where is that spark coming from on the bench? I know that may be a harsh question to ask, but I think it's fair right now given what we have seen through nine games. So with that regard in the poor production of the bench, this goes back to the point that Frank and I talked about before about swapping Dingle and Aline in the starting lineup. Now, Rick Pitino has said that he doesn't really care who starts. It's about who plays in the game when it matters most. But right now, you have a massive issue with scoring off the bench. Somebody has to be able to score. So you put Dingle and Aline together on the second unit. Let Dingle be the guy that comes off the bench as like a sixth man. When Jenkins gets a breather, you let Wiltshire run the point, And then you got those three guys as your anchors at guard for the second unit. It's something to consider as I play armchair coach, and perhaps it won't work until you get RJ Louise back, but there's got to be a shakeup coming, you'd imagine. So the big question after the game and moving forward is, can the defense be fixed? Can you teach defensive principles on the fly? Can Rick Pitino get this defense to where it needs to be in the middle of the season, in the middle of a schedule, and right before Big East play? I think we've got people that have not guarded in their life, and they're being expected to defend rather than just score. It's very difficult on them. Can it change? I mean, it's still early in the season. We're going to continue to work at it. We're going to continue to work at it. We let this one get away, and it's obvious we played defense uh, against certain opponents and came away with nice victories, and tonight we did not, and we paid the price. We took an L. While I'm sure the answer theoretically is yes, you can't teach speed and improve lateral quickness on a game-to-game basis. I think you have to go to the basics on improving positioning of where guys are on switches and drill it to death. When Rick Pitino says you have guys who have never guarded in their life and they're being expected to defend rather than score, he's obviously talking about that in regards to the standards that he expects. He's also referring to guys in high school who have always been the man who can roll out of bed, score 30 points, and win. The step up in competition here is high, and I think you're seeing that adjustment period on the fly with Zuby Ejiofor, who played really sparingly in year one with Kansas, with two freshmen in Wiltshire and Dunlap, and other guys who, like we said in the offseason, are taking a jump in competition from lower level leagues into the Big East and the competition that comes with playing this kind of a schedule and being at St. John's. Regarding the issues with the bench production, that leads me to another point. Jordan Dingle had an off night. He scored 10 points on 3 of 15 shooting. Obviously terrible. 1 of 6 from deep. You can have an off night. It happens. It'll likely happen again. But when you don't get that supplemental scoring from your bench, it makes it a lot harder to survive. Jenkins, Dingle, and Glenn Taylor together scored 30 points. They went 11 of 36 combined, 2 of 12 from 3. Jenkins fouled out, so your depth gets tested, and in this game, that was a test that St. John's failed. So let's get back to that big 14-0 run that I mentioned, because that's really where this game fell apart. Eight points by Soriano, a three by Taylor, a great steal by Jordan Dingle, who made a tough layup and got fouled. He converted a three-point play. So how do you blow a 10-point lead, and how do you blow all of that momentum? 
Danish Jenkins takes a three that while he had a decent look at, they went away from what was working. You just went on a 14-0 run. All of it besides one shot was in the paint. You were dominating in the paint. They couldn't stop you. And that's what happened over and over and over again. Multiple attempts from the outside instead of going into the paint. And you pair that with Boston College going down the court, getting to the rim, and you were fouling them basically every trip. This wasn't the refs calling a bad whistle. This was St. John's unable to play defense without fouling. And that's how you have the lead just slip away through your hands like sand in a desert. I mentioned it earlier, Joel Soriano was drawn out to the three-point line because their big man, one of their best players on the team, Quentin Post, was setting a screen at the top of the key. Soriano switches, Dingle is unable to fight over the screen, and Zachary gets into the paint for an easy layup. Ledlam cuts and Dingle threw a pass low that was off the mark. It was stolen. It was a four-on-two break to Boston College. They get fouled and go to the line. They made one. Ledlam missed a turnaround mid-range jumper. Harris hits a long three, and before you know it, it's an 8-0 run. Patino calls a timeout. Jenkins stops the bleeding with a layup, but Boston College gets another layup on the other way. Ledlam missed a layup. Boston College hits a three to take the lead. Jenkins had a hand up in Madsen's face, but it was a split second too slow, so that's what we're talking about. That's the speed. You know, It's not that St. John's wasn't playing defense. They were there. They were just a step slow, whether it was staying in front of their man or getting a hand in the face. It was just a little bit too slow. Jenkins hits a long two-point shot. Brady Dunlap checked into the game, and that's where I talked about where Brady was unable to help the cause, where he missed that corner three. There was a breakaway layup, and Boston College went ahead by five off of that. St. John's just let it slip away by not going into the paint. That's really where I thought the problem lied. St. John's just went away from what was working, and I don't know why. You know, you heard me just mention that one of the big issues was St. John's couldn't play defense without fouling. You've heard Bob Walsh on this podcast twice talk about how that's a point of emphasis for St. John's. And in this game, it seemed like literally every single trip down the floor, Boston College was getting to the rim. They were getting fouled. They were going to the free throw line. And they were just taking advantage of St. John's poor defense. You know, St. John's was playing defense with their hands and not with their feet, and it cost them. With about seven minutes left in the game, Danis Jenkins checked out of the game with his fourth foul. St. John's offense went completely stagnant. As you heard Rick Patino say earlier, it was like a ship without a captain. And Jenkins checks back in 90 seconds later. Boston College had a 68-66 to lead with six minutes to play. Joel Soriano was just so effective in this game, yet he didn't get enough touches. When a guy is dominating like this, and he's getting fouled anytime he touches the ball, when he, even when he's not scoring and going to the line, you feed him till the cows come home. He's a major advantage for St. John's. Listen, I don't want to call him Zach Eady, but he needs to be used in the same way as Zach Eady is being used with Purdue. Feed him the ball. He's really tough to stop, and especially this season. He had one field goal in the last 14 minutes and 55 seconds of the game. How's that possible? That's crazy. St. John's took 22 more shots than Boston College, and they lost by six. They made the same amount of field goals, 31, and you lost by six. And you took 22 more shots. That's crazy. 
St. John's was outscored in the paint 46-42. to Boston College made their layups. St. John's did not. Boston College went 19 of 28 on layups. St. John's went 14 of 30. Boston College shot 56% from the floor for the game and 61% in the second half because they got good looks and made them up close at the rim. Boston College went to the line 28 times. Get this, 25 of those trips happened in the second half. And again, this wasn't the refs being whistle happy or calling bad calls on St. John's. This was St. John's being unable to keep their hands off of Boston College and play defense without fouling. Boston College's best player, Quentin Post, he was a force in the first half. And while he almost had a triple-double in this game, he was held to just one point in the second half after scoring 12 in the first. His passing was key in the second half as St. John's lost their guards on backdoor plays and Joel Soriano was having a hard time because he was drawn out to the three-point line. Now, Joel was awesome on offense. He was awesome again in general. 21 points, 11 rebounds. He went 8 of 12 from the floor, but he just didn't get fed enough. Chris Ledlam was a force again. 16 points, 11 rebounds, 3 steals, 3 blocks, but that was it. They didn't get enough help. Patina was really unhappy after the game. He had to cut his post-game media session short after about five minutes because he said he didn't want to say anything that he was going to regret. He said, we're not going to win until we get committed to defense, and this group is not. It's partially our fault. We recruited offensive basketball players, and we're trying to teach 23-year-olds about defense, and it cost us tonight. You know, in five games against top 100 teams, St. John's is allowing an average of 79.4 points per game and is 2-3 and three in those contests. Zach Braziller mentioned that in his article. One of the other things I'm really concerned about is St. John's being unable to hold the lead. This veteran team, this older team, has been able to get a lead, and it's been now multiple times that St. John's has blown it and gone on to lose the game by a good amount. Good teams hold leads. Good teams build on leads. This veteran team should be doing just that. When you have a 10-point lead, you're not supposed to lose it. It's very difficult, but it's been difficult from, from the summer to now with defense because it's a broken record. But um, give a lot of credit to Boston College. They, did, they made a lot of good shots down 10, and um, you have to give credit to them as well. And so again, the theme of the show and the theme of this loss is the fan base and myself being concerned. These are the things that are starting to worry everybody. You know, this was another game that St. John's did not shoot the three well, which is another concern, but they did find a way to score the ball. Again, 80 points is encouraging, but it's worrisome because this team was billed as a much better shooting team, especially from deep, and there's been multiple times that this team has not found it from deep. Here are some thoughts from Mexico as my co-host is on vacation with his wife, but he was able to sneak in some time to watch this game. He said that St. John's needs more of Naheem Aline. He can defend at this level in a way that Jenkins and Dingle have proven they can't yet unless or until Simeon Wilcher figures it out. St. John's needs to play more Naheem Aline. was complimentary for Joel Soriano, who locked down Quinton Post in the second half. Concerned about the press, it got broken way too easily, was having flashbacks to Mike Anderson only, except he thinks it was worse. Whoa. At least three times they had five guys behind the ball, something that I alluded to in regards to those odd man rushes, and the press was broken pretty easily for easy buckets. 
like I said, there's a lot of hot takes going on. And Frank said that anybody who is saying that Rick Pitino lost it or he's not the right man for the job, they need to take a chill pill. He had a top 75 defense last year with less talent. And if we had that, we'd be undefeated or maybe there would only be one loss. Back to that point, Rick Pitino is a player developer. Some of this is on him, but Frank thinks that many of us had too high of expectations for what could be done in regard in such an abbreviated offseason as he was spent putting together the roster. Regarding RJ Luis and his injury, the offense hasn't been the problem, but Luis is another body, and even if he's at best a mediocre defender, Luis brings quickness, and we need that on the defensive end. Need him to get healthier sooner rather than later. There's a really brutal stretch incoming they need to figure it out in a hurry six of the next seven opponents are ken palm top 65 opponents five in the top 50 and two are in the top 10 i certainly agree with frank there we are once again the same old johnnies in the fact that we are putting a lot of stress on the big east schedule now we need to at least get to 11 wins you have to beat fordham you have to beat hofstra but more realistically and to get comfortable in selection sunday you need to somehow get to 12 to 13 wins in the big east that's definitely a tall order right now given how st john's looked so there are some of your thoughts from mexico frank on vacation he will be back for the next recap so st john's drops to six and three on the season they are now 69th in net their ken palm sits at 66 there's plenty of work to be done there's a lot of good faith to be restored but st john's really needs to get back on track and they'll have a chance to do that inside madison square garden on saturday at 3 30 against the fordham rams fordham's coming off a really good season last year under head coach keith ergo and they just got a really close win against north texas by one point but this is a game where st john's is going to have to respond that's what everybody's going to look at how will st john's respond off of this loss st john's has to go into madison square garden and they need to kick Fordham's ass and they need to make a statement they need to make sure that people are talking about the defense in a positive light after this game win by 20 plus and make people forget about the Boston College loss that has to be the message St. John's is going to get their butts handed to them all week in film sessions in practice it's going to be hell I'm sure but they need to take this opportunity against Fordham this weekend in the garden to make a statement the veteran roster the older captains on this team they need to step up and make sure that everybody heeds the message from the staff lock up fordham and get a win and make a statement st john's fordham on saturday as they look to put this one behind them johnny nation thank you so much for joining me frank's in mexico so it was a solo pod like the good old days and we will hopefully be back and reunited for the next time johnny nation thank you so much for listening i will catch you next time you've been listening to the eye on the storm podcast go johnny's